Chapter Thirteen of the Real Oscar Wilde by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My first introduction to Oscar Wilde took place in Paris in eighteen eighty three at the house of a Greek lady, an artist who had been intimately associated with the pre Raphaelites in London, for whose art she had such enthusiasm that, although a woman of very considerable wealth, she readily placed at the disposal of her friends the painters as a model her own beauties and graces and figured in more than one famous picture by burne jones rossetti and the rest she is the female figure in the picture entitled the beguiling of merlin for instance by the way i never see a picture by burne jones or hear his name mentioned without thinking of the very shabby way in which he rounded on his former friend and fugleman oscar wilde after the debacle shortly after wilde's arrest a demand came from the artist that all letters which he had written to the man who was then in prison should be immediately returned this was done no doubt by mr ross who sent with the parcel a request that a like courtesy might be extended to the prisoner and that all letters which oscar wilde had written to burne jones should be sent back a curt message came in answer to this request to the effect that quote, those letters were all destroyed long ago unquote. oscar wilde had been in paris some time before i met him i cannot say that his presence there had attracted much attention and i was then in a position to know very closely what was and was not interesting paris yet with his usual skill in advertising himself he had carefully prepared his parisian campaign he had brought over from london several copies of his poems and on settling down in the hotel on the quai voltaire which by the way is barely three minutes walk from the wretched inn in the rue des beaux-arts where he came to perish he dispatched these copies each accompanied by a complimentary letter to the literary and artistic celebrities of paris at the time of his arrest these letters now having become documents of topical interest were laid out for inspection in more than one salon and pathetic it was too for his friends to see these proofs of his young ambitions and to remember to what ambition had brought him and i may say right here that nowhere in paris amongst literary and artistic people did i hear any sympathy with him expressed daudet said that i being without children of my own had no voix au chapitre no right to say anything and as for zola his indignation was so violent against wilde that one might have fancied him the editor of a religious magazine or the writer of moral text-books ad usum delphini as a matter of fact the first time that i heard that oscar wilde was in paris that spring of eighteen eighty three was at the studio of a friend of mine and i remember saying something uncomplimentary about the man to whom i was afterwards to become so much attached i told oscar about this hostility very shortly after we had made friends and he said robert that was very wrong of you why should you be hostile towards me i said that while it certainly did not arise from any feeling of jealousy it was probably prompted by my objection to his methods of furthering his literary standing his methods of advertising and so on i said that that sort of thing had never been practised by true men of letters but by charlatans only 
who enter upon literary pursuits not for a love of art but in a purely commercial spirit relying upon their skill in self-puffery and advertisement to make the arduous profession of letters not one to be carried on on weak porridge but as his friends in the country from which he had just come would say a paying proposition how very tedious you are my dear robert he said for the rest you are quite in the right and it is now months since i discarded my eccentricities of costume and had my hair cut all that belonged to the oscar of the first period we are now concerned with the oscar wilde of the second period who has nothing whatever in common with the gentleman who wore long hair and carried a sunflower down piccadilly here he broke off and muttered something about the survival of personality which i did not pay much attention to but a version of which i afterwards discovered in one of his essays pen pencil and poison i often much regret that things that were going on on the quay interested me more that spring morning than what my friend in the white monkish cowl was saying in a kind of monologue addressed to himself they were words i am sure that were well worth listening to and one of the very rare occasions on which oscar wilde in my presence revealed under the frivolous often flippant humorist and sayer of epigrams the luminous philosopher that he was it was as though an aristophanes had for the briefest space lifted a mask and revealed aristotle the gist of what he said was that time so completely transforms the individuality of man that he of to-day is an entirely different person from the same man seven years previously and should not be held responsible for opinions then expressed or acts at that time done this in regard to civil matters is a principle which the law of england of course recognises as established by the statute of limitations in france it has a far wider extension and is equally applicable to criminal matters the murderer of ten years ago if he fortunately escapes the myrmidons of the law to-day walks the boulevard as free as you or i may indeed come to honours post-sidal honours if i may coin a word for i myself have seen the murderer of two women who had made good his flight had awaited abroad the expiration of the term of prescription had then returned to paris where an exhibition of his manufactured products not corpses but some kind of goods attracted to him the favourable attention of the minister of commerce who bestowed upon him the ribbon of the legion of honour thus putting a gout of red into the buttonhole of a man whose hands ten years previously had dripped gouts and gouts of red i think that oscar wilde was so imbued with the idea that one is not rightfully to be held responsible for what one did some time ago i do not know what term of prescription he had fixed in his mind that his revolt against the severity of his sentence indeed against any conviction was enhanced by the feeling that it was unjust and illogical to try him and far more so to punish him for alleged offences supposed to have been committed when he was not the oscar wilde who stood in the dock it is very certain be it remarked en passant that william shakespeare of the buen retiro at stratford-on-avon was not will of the globe theatre 
that samuel johnson embodied about a dozen different samuel johnsons that william wordsworth the friend of brissot and the rue de sevres would readily have sent to widow guillotine the william wordsworth of rydal mount stamp distributor and poeta lariatus or to come closer that the aubrey beardsley who on his deathbed on the riviera pitifully and with gaunt and trembling fingers traced that disregarded request footnote written in my death agony aubrey beardsley End footnote that the lysistrata drawings of his might be destroyed was never at all the aubrey beardsley of the smithersian orgies at the hotel foyer well such was my feeling about oscar wilde that when a few days after i had first heard of his presence in paris i received an invitation to dine at the house in the avenue de segur where the greek lady artist lived with the information that i should meet him there my first strong impulse was not to go in those days my cultus of literature was a very devotional one and i had thought that in oscar's masquerades an offence against the dignity of letters had been committed then curiosity overcame the objection and i went when i reached the house i found john sargent the portrait painter there one did not quite realise at that time what a very great man this was at that time sargent's portraits did not enchant but horrified the public the desideratum of most artists to get themselves talked about and their pictures discussed was equally attained in those days if at the salon you saw a crowd of people surrounding some toile making gestures of dismay or ridicule and heard cries of mais c'est impossible quelle horreur you might safely wager that the exciting cause was the newest sergeant portrait sergeant was good enough to take an artistic interest in me and some time later he asked me to come to his studio he wanted to paint my portrait and also to model my head i was foolish enough not to take advantage of an offer which would have resulted in securing for me a permanent and most efficacious advertisement however in those days i did not believe that in the profession of letters the publicity department above all others should be attended to in england the most successful amongst my confrères are those upon whom this commercial axiom has most firmly impressed itself however i did come to be limbed by sergeant and in company no less distinguished than that of oscar wilde and paul bourget we were all sitting together at the Café L'Avenue, near the Guerre Montparnasse, when Sargent proposed that he should make a sketch of the three hommes de lettres. The drawing was duly executed in an album which belonged to the proprietor of the café, and which contained a number of most interesting contributions, in prose, in verse, as well as drawings, caricatures, and sketches by many artists, who, students at the time, have since become famous though none perhaps in the same degree as our limna this album was taken with him by the landlord after he had sold his business and all my efforts to trace him and it have failed i was anxious to secure the wild cum bourget picture by sargent for this book but who shall say in what provincial grenier it lies mouldering 
Oscar Wilde was very late that evening for dinner. I noticed that he had a habit of unpunctuality. On one occasion he kept me waiting on the Place Vendôme, where he had given me rendezvous for over an hour, during which time I walked round and round that square, studying the Napoleon statue from every angle, and fuming against my tardy friend. When at last he did arrive, he had not one word of excuse or apology, and when I, resenting this indifference, made some allusion to my peripatetics, we came as nigh to a quarrel as ever I was with him during the eighteen years that I was his friend. Those who disliked him, and il y en avait, used to say that he practised being late so as to draw a special attention to himself, to enhance his entrée, to get himself discussed, awaited, desired. It is recorded that one day he came very late indeed to a luncheon party to which he had been bidden, and that when a reproachful hostess asked him to look at the clock, he answered airily, "'Oh, madam, what can that little clock know of what the great golden sun is doing?' It was suggested that it was for the sole purpose of asking that question that he had kept everybody waiting, and had filled with chagrin the bosom of a Mayfair cordon bleu. He was such a strange apparition when he did come, in his Count d'Orsay costume, with his turned-back cuffs, his coloured handkerchief, his boutonniere, his noticeable rings, and his mass of banked-up and artificially curled hair, that I could not restrain a burst of almost hysterical laughter, and had to hurry across the drawing-room to bury my head in an album of drawings, to conceal the effect produced upon me. Sergeant was standing by the table, and I remember that he noticed the condition I was in, and said something to me which I did not catch, but which may have been a rebuke, or perhaps a counsel. Whatever Wilde's appearance was the first time that I saw him, it is certain that I was impressed also by the absolute ease of his manner, by that superiority of his, and there were several persons of distinction there that night, which made him at once, and thenceforward all through the evening, play the leading role in our gathering. He seized at once on the conversation, and held it. Few of us had a word to say, and after the first few moments we resigned ourselves willingly to the part of listeners. I felt some irritation at certain of his remarks on matters artistic, I held that he was posturing, and that under his leadership we were all playing, round that table, the roles of some new comedy, to be called Le Précieux Ridicule. And so, during a momentary pause, after Wilde had remarked that he was in the habit of spending long hours in front of the statue of the Venus of Milos, I bluntly remarked that I knew nothing of the Louvre Museum, but that I often went to the big Louvre shop, where I found the best value for money in ties of any shop in Paris. This flippancy attracted Oscar Wilde's attention and approbation. He may have gauged the motive which had prompted the remark, and when two augurs meet, they smile, do they not? He said, Oh, I like that, and thereupon opened for me a little wicket-gate into the discussion which was proceeding and from which, with most of the other guests, I had until then been excluded. And after dinner he continued to talk to me, and when we parted he begged me to call upon him on the following day, which I readily agreed to do. 
for he had thrown over me the spell of his undeniable fascination a spell which still holds me fifteen years after the earth has closed over him who on that paris night seemed to me less immortal than a demigod with his extraordinary vitality a brazier filled with the unquenchable fire of genius now i know that some people who may do me the honour of reading this book will bridle at this remark of mine and find it absurd with the absurdity of extravagance i can only say that it is an absolute description as exact as i can make it of the effect produced upon me by oscar wilde on the first occasion on which i met him and i may add that this was not only because i was a mere lad at the time the same feeling that the man was a superman has never left me and even to-day as i have said that extraordinary fascination lingers his friends can hardly believe him dead men like these explain the creed of survival after death somebody the other day said to me oh oscar is sixty to-day contemporary memoirs abound in accounts of the impression produced upon their writers by oscar wilde on their first meeting with him dour old walt whitman even succumbed to the great charm of the young irish poet who visited him in his dust-laden cabin verlaine gone though he was in absinthe admitted that the poet quote, although he never offered me un sibiche unquote, was most decidedly un type epetant while here from the recently published memoirs of dr fairburn head of mansfield college oxford and whilom chairman of the congregational union is a description of his first meeting with oscar wilde quote, in the evening went to wemyss reed's dinner thirty present company included lord acton oscar wilde bryce augustine biddle william black and quite a host of others biddle was full of talk great on eighteenth-century men a man of letters not ashamed of his nonconformist descent at least to me yet thinking and speaking of nonconformists as something outside him with which he was largely over and done wish it were possible to get over this attitude oscar wilde sat opposite to me very handsome fellow hair parted in the middle flower in the buttonhole with the air about him that he ought to be looked at and would improve anybody who would be wise enough to do so Unquote. thus dr fairbairn many years after oscar wilde's disgrace and downfall it is to be remarked by the way that whereas men of letters were particularly severe towards their fallen confrere the dons and the academical in whom a great odium against an alleged corrupter of youth might have been supposed to prevail showed tolerance and a disposition towards pardon and forgetfulness zola as i have pointed out was the severest critic of wilde in france and as for the gentle and pious francois coppet when approached by the stuart merrill committee to sign the petition which was being circulated amongst french men of letters to secure for the prisoner some abatement of his sentence replied that he was prepared to sign but only in his capacity as a member of the society for the prevention of cruelty to animals on the other hand the dons at trinity dublin express admiration and affection for their brilliant alumnus 
dr mahaffey has retained his good opinion of the scholarly and scintillating youth who accompanied him on one of his rambles in greece and there are dons at oxford who will not listen to any aspersion on the unhappy irishman who having stripped his native university of all the laurels it had to offer carried all before him at oxford End of chapter 13